You now tuned in to the hottest podcast in the world, the Stay Woke Podcast, right here on thesonicbreakdown.com. So welcome back to another Stay Woke Podcast. This is D-Ray Brinson. And of course, you know, this: the Stay Woke Podcast is presented by thesonicbreakdown.com. If you haven't checked it out, check it out. We're going to bring you a special podcast today about Gil Scott Heron's song, B-Movie, off of the album Reflection. And we got a special guest. We got Uncle David. If you read my uh, Kendrick, yeah, my first review, he was mentioned in there. So read that review and you have some reference to to him. So mm-hmm. as we just listened to that album, the question that I want to, or that song rather, the question that I want to begin by asking you is, mm-hmm. well, we should preface it, preface it a little bit, I guess. That song. Yeah, I can give a little background. Yeah, that song was uh, released in 1981. And uh, Gil Scott Heron is... If you don't know, you're sleeping. You're not woke, so stay woke. And uh, mm-hmm. but um, he's a he's a poet, uh, artist. Uh, yeah, poet, artist, musician. Yeah, there we um, go. He, his most famous song was uh, "Revolution Will Not Be Televised." Exactly. So mm-hmm. that that's that that's my first reference to him uh, for me. So that's just a little bit of background. But again, we're gonna refer back to the the song that we're talking about today, which is "B Movie." What was your first impression of the song when when you first heard it and and give us some background to to what was going on and things of that nature okay well um if you can yeah well i was i was just finishing up in in college back in uh in 80 81 and uh that was the the year that uh ronald reagan was running for president (laughs) right you know as as many of you may know but let me fill in the the historical details uh ronald reagan was a an actor Right. And I remember him as a child as being the host of uh, Death Valley Days, Mm. which was uh, a series of Western uh, uh, television um, episodes uh, where he was the host and they sold, uh, I think it was soap. Yeah, I think it was uh, uh, some kind of Obaraxo soap. uh, Baraxo soap. Okay, So he would come in between segments and say, you know, we want you to buy Baraxo soap. You know, it's strong enough to clean up any kind of dirt, right? Okay. Um, but before that, he was he was an actor in Hollywood, and he wasn't a real famous actor. Mm. I mean, I think his uh, his biggest role was uh, George Gipp in um, uh, The Legend of Newt Rockney, right? And I think he played, I think he might have played the Gipper. I'm not really sure what his role was in there but he was that kind of actor right mm-hmm. he was um you know relegated to not the a level actors like you know Henry Fonda uh, or um Jimmy Stewart mm, okay. right, or or uh, John Wayne right he was like the guy you got if you couldn't get any of those guys <laughs> right and uh, once he once his his movie career kind of fizzled mm-hmm. and he was doing that thing on TV that kind of fizzled uh then it became um, active in, you know, union politics for actors, right? The Screen Actors Guild. Okay. And I think he was the leader of the Screen Actors Guild for a while. And he was actually a, a Democrat, hmm. right? Um, but then some transformation occurred, you know, probably something built on a political expediency. Uh, <laughs> he became a Republican, right? Ran for governor of California and won. Okay. And I think he uh, ran for two terms, Right in the late '60s, early '70s, mm. and that was a pretty turbulent time in uh, 
yeah. California or, in, of course, in the country because of the, the Vietnam War. And uh, he really came down hard on uh, UC Berkeley protests. That was part of the free speech movement going on in Berkeley. Uh-huh. And he ordered, uh, you know, state troops in there. And, you know, uh, he and this other guy named S.I. Hayakawa, uh-huh. who was head of um, the UC, um, basically cracked down on the students uh, pretty hard. And what was the, the basis of, of just because they didn't agree with what they were saying or what? Well, that's primarily it. You know, um, I think, you know, the, the, the posture they were taking was that the United States was at war. Mm-hmm. Right. We should be supporting the war and supporting our troops. Regardless of without if you question whether the it, war had any merit or not. Got it. And uh, this was a, this was a way to frame, you know, if you had any political ambitions, this is one way to show that. You know, you macho man, mm-hmm. right? You know, you you're not gonna take any guff. You're a super patriot and all this stuff, yeah. right? So he went on from there to uh, uh, become active in in uh, national politics and to run against Jimmy Carter, right? Uh, when Jimmy Carter was running for a second term, and Reagan had his followers, right? He was from the Midwest. Um, he had, you know, he's, you know. Um, Friendly enough, right? You know, he had this. He knew how to the the walk the line politics maneuver, uh, smooge. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of a smooth character. You know, kind of you know, you know, G aw shucks kind of guy. Mm. Didn't seem to be too uh, too uh, arrogant. Um, And uh, he he won number of debates against Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Mm. Carter was uh, the governor of Georgia, Mm -hmm. right? He came up president. He was a very bright guy. He was. uh, uh, I think he had a degree in nuclear physics or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, but of course, you know, he didn't come across as being that way. Mm. And because of, um, you know, one particular event, the uh, the taking of um, the American embassy in Tehran, mm. right, and the hostage crisis uh, put him at uh, political limbo. Yeah. That plus the fact that uh, Ed, uh, Edward Kennedy uh, mounted a challenge in the uh, primaries against Jimmy Carter, which is generally not done within your party. You generally don't go against a sitting president. Uh, that kind of, um, you know, showed his his vulnerability. Mm. Right. So Reagan came along at the right time. Right. With the right, right opponent. Right. That's showing a lot of parallels to today in, in a lot of regards. Mm. But. Yeah, we'll, we'll, I'll touch on that later. <laughs> okay, so 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 the parallels I'm drawing here. So that's sort of the setup to um, the the initial hearing of B movie, mm-hmm. right? So the election came down, um, Reagan wins, right? And they're talking, and it was actually a pretty uh, pretty um, hefty margin in terms of uh, popular vote. But if you kind of scrape. You know the surface mm-hmm. and look at what the numbers actually show. Yeah, deeper. Um, you know that okay, he won with something like fifty-two percent of the vote, right? There's only two candidates running at that time. Okay, um, but let something like fifty percent of the people who could possibly vote, mm-hmm. right? The pool of potential voters, mm-hmm. right, was. Uh, was 50 percent of those that that pool actually voted? So if you looked at the total number of a possible voters mm-hmm. and the number of votes that he got, right, mm-hmm. it was somewhere around twenty six percent. Okay, I get what you're saying. All the total of all the possible voters. So every like basically anybody that could have voted, mm-hmm. of course, not everybody always votes. Well, never, actually, yeah. never. Yeah, there's never. I don't think ever recorded. No, where everybody it, that could vote voted. 
No, the U.S. has amongst the the, the lowest participation rate in uh, voting of any of the major uh, democracies in the Western world. So out of that possible pool, like you said, only 26 actually voted for him. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, that's, yeah. that, that, that's, so, that says a lot right there in itself. That, yeah. So, so the thing that, that, that kicked me off was uh, after, uh, let's fast forward to uh, 2016 election. After um, that election, one of the, uh, the victor's uh, mouthpiece on television uh, gets on and says, oh, we had the most fantastic victory ever. Right. It was a landslide and we have a mandate. <laughs> And then, boom, I remember the first lines of the movie, which was mandate my ass, (laughs) you know. So so that instantly brought you back in. Prior to hearing that, have you have you re-listened to that album frequently or that track frequently? uh, Probably about two or three times in the last, you know, since the election. Let's put it that way. Okay, I haven't listened to the other songs on there, Mm -hmm. um, but this one in particular. Mm -hmm. But. Uh, the, the parallels are, are stunning in, 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 a, in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. some not coincidentally. Right. When I say that not coincidentally, uh, I believe that, you know, Trump's campaign was trying to align him with Ronald Reagan. Because right? they He's, saw a pattern. They saw they saw something that worked and they saw an atmosphere that mm-hmm. fit these dynamics and yep. saw it as an opportunity to, to use it. Yeah. Yeah. And the interesting thing is, is that, um, okay, that, so that's what, 35, well, 30, 35 years ago, mm-hmm. something like that, mm-hmm. 36 years ago. Um, the same methodology worked, right, in terms of, uh, you know, attracting voters. Yeah. Uh, one was to uh, demonize minorities, mm-hmm. right? The other is to say, uh, you know, the economy's going in a tank. Uh, the jobs are leaving the country. Um, you know, uh, we need a new strong leader. Creating fear and creating unstable instability in areas that weren't as mm-hmm. unstable or basically blind. <laughs> in well, yeah, I mean, I mean, basically saying that everything's a mess when it isn't. Um, but people bought into it, right? People bought into that that narrative, and it's interesting because. You know, you would think that in, you know, close to 40 years that the, the evolution of folks would be different. Right. Mm. You know, one of the main things that comes out of that um, the song B movie is this um, uh, stru- this uh, desire for the American uh, populace or a certain segment of it. Right. To, uh, you know, look back upon some days that they think are better than what today is. Yes. Right. And. I wanted to touch on that real quick is because um, I can't remember that there's a book out there. I can't remember the name of it, but I Mm -hmm. think it's called when things were the same. And it basically touches on that same, that idea or that theory of that. A lot of times you think that about, let's say domestic violence, they say Mm -hmm. that, you know, it's worse now than it ever was. No, not really. If you think about those times, Mm -hmm. it's just the difference is how it was being reported. Right. A lot of it wasn't getting reported. And or even if it was reported, it wasn't getting written down because the sheriff was like, Joe, don't do it no more. Yeah, you guys kiss and make up. Exactly. So Mm -hmm. like that idea of that it's getting worse or that things are really changing more than they are is is unrealistic in some degree because it's just that nostalgic belief of you want to believe that those times mm-hmm. were better. Right. Yeah. Now the interesting thing is, is that, um, 
you know, there seems to be this strong desire for nostalgia, as, <laughs> as Gil Scott Heron brings up in the uh, in the song and B movie. Right. And uh, I remember seeing a, an episode of Scandal um, in 2016, uh, which, you know, it parallels a lot of what's going on currently. Uh, but they had a, a candidate, an African-American candidate running for president. Mm. Right. Who um, was being asked a question about statements about from a, another candidate who was modeled upon, you know, Donald Trump. OK. Right. And that guy wanted to make America great again. Mm. Right. So um, the African-American candidate finally snapped and says, you know, I'm going to really tell you what I believe, what I think about it. <laughs> like he had so enough. It's, yeah. It's like, you know, what do you mean make America great again? What's not great about now? Right now, mm-hmm. right? We have uh, an African-American president, right? Our economy's doing well. So what do you mean when you want to go back in time, right? What was a better time? When we had Jim Crow, right? When we had slavery, right? Uh, you know, you got to mention, wonder what that means. Exactly. Right? Like, w- at what reference point are you talking about? Exactly. And another interesting parallel here is if you look back in uh, Reagan's campaign posters, mm-hmm. at the bottom of his posters, he had a slogan, let's make America great again. Uh, see, so, I... so that's where that came from. So that's what I'm talking about, the parallels, not necessarily by accident, mm-hmm. by design. Exactly. Right. And, and that that wouldn't make a lot of sense because a lot of people were saying when he first was running that they couldn't see that he would win. They couldn't see that he'd yeah. make it past the primaries. They can see that there's... This, this, this. Mm-hmm. But before even the campaign started, mm-hmm. well, not even before the campaign started, but from the Democratic side, uh-huh. you already saw the tension between Bernie and Hillary. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. like, at, when you say that it was by design, it's like if if I was on his team, or if I I'm that person that that knows this knowledge about Ronald Reagan's campaign and how it worked, and 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 then you, it's like a it's like a red flag. Ooh. Mm-hmm. There, I can see how this is going to bring them apart. Divided, they're going to they're going to split some votes. Mm-hmm. That gives us a prime opportunity to fit right in here, and we know this strategy has worked before mm-hmm. in this environment. So let's go with that. And right. so, it's pretty ingenious, but it's scary at the same time. Yeah. Well, you know that, be it, be it as it may, right? They had their strategy. The Democrats had theirs. Mm-hmm. Right. The major problem here is that although there were over two hundred million people registered to vote in the last election, 90 million of people stayed away from the polls, did mm-hmm. not vote. Yeah. Right. Now the other side of that problem, okay, let's take out that, those 90 million votes, right? Out of the 140 million votes that were vote uh, that were cast or so, mm-hmm. something like that, Trump got fewer than four, uh, fewer than 50%. Yeah. Right. He didn't even get the most no. of all the candidates. Right. So if you look at this, right, he got what, 42 percent, let's say, Mm -hmm. of all of the votes that were cast for president. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Then we we go back to that that same ratio of the pool of the total potential mm -hmm. versus what he got. Right. Gives you Mm -hmm. probably what, 26, 27 percent, Probably about 27 percent. Exactly. Right. So the whole the whole thing that started this off was when, you know, one of his talking heads said, oh, we want a landslide. It was a mandate. Right. And I said, mandate my ass. You guys didn't even get 
you didn't even get 50% of all the votes cast, yeah. much less of 50% of all the registered voters. Yeah, right? so there's in, 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 in no regard is that a landslide in any shape or form. No, <laughs> but, you know, you know, you keep repeating a lie. This is one of this was one of the things that Stalin, right, you know, uh, said was, you know, a, you know, you just keep repeating a lie. Right. Eventually, people will take it as true. Yeah. Right. And I have a, I have a, a friend from Bulgaria said, you know, the communists use this all the time. And we have an expression. He says, if someone calls your sister a whore, nobody will listen to you when you tell them you don't have a sister. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Once you get that, you know, you get it out there. It's very hard to, you know, you know, to pull it back. It's like when you get angry at work and you send out a flame on email yeah. and you hit send. It's like, uh, it's, it's a little bit too point. late. Yeah. Right. Same thing with this, uh, you know, this uh, so-called fake news. Right. So the fake news is out there to, you know, to obf- obfuscate, confuse, distort. Right. Uh, take time away from, you know, the real issues. Uh, so he talks about those kinds of things, too. Yeah, he, he actually says the 27 percent and he talks about the dividing of the parties. The, the other parallels is how. How he refers and that, like, I didn't know. I mean, I knew that Reagan was an actor just mm-hmm. because I've, I've heard it referenced before, but I never knew to the degree at which his acting was. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. Because the, I won't say in the media, but it tends to be from the Republican Party when they mention him mm-hmm. and the reverence that they speak of him, it gives you the impression that he was, everything was great. He was the great act, but you know, of course they're going to say that. But right. mm-hmm. so when you were, it, when you informed me about his, how his his celebrity was as an actor or his his gift as an actor wasn't as great because they're making it seem like he's uh Cary Grant you know what I'm saying yeah like, yeah but that parallels to Donald Trump because he is a celebrity mm-hmm. but he's not great at anything no not really so you know what I'm saying like but that is the impression that they give of him as well mm-hmm. is that he's great at all these things he's the best at everything but like, there's no evidence to prove that. Well, there's one thing that he's excellent at. Making money. Well, I wouldn't say uh, well, that. <laughs> I, what he's excellent at is BSing. Yeah. Right. Now, you know, when you talk, you brought up the money thing, right? Um, he's a prime example of somebody that was born on third base and thought he had hit a triple. Gotcha. Well, right? Yeah. Right. He was born with money. Mm-hmm. Right. He inherited a lot of his wealth. And then he invested that wealth right in businesses and he didn't lose it all mm-hmm. right he tried to but he didn't lose it all uh but if you compare what he could have gotten out of that money you know if he had taken that money and put it into a, say a mutual fund mm-hmm. right and didn't do nothing right he probably he would have made more money mm. so that yeah that does right? speak to your business acumen if yeah exactly you don't make more than what you would have if you just sat on it yeah and you know he you know his business acumen is uh really the ability to you know to BS, mm. right? So he has a name, right? A lot of the buildings with his name on it, he did not build, mm. right? He sells his name, naming rights, right? Because he has some, you know, a trade name, you know, identifiable name. Um, all right, so that's how he makes a lot of his money now. And it's debatable what his net worth is. You know, some people place it as low as one and a half billion. Some people say it's, you know, five. Well, I should say he says it's around five or six. Right. But that's that's, again, debatable. Right. But the interesting thing about, you know, about, um, you know, the parallels is that he, you know, he really wanted to, you know, be the, quote, new Reagan. Right. The outsider Mm -hmm. that came in and uh, clean house. 
and that's and that that is what he pushed when he on, on his well platforms he really didn't have platforms but anyways but that's yeah. what he did push in his speeches and mm-hmm. and his uh it, the dialogue that he communicated to the public which through twitter yeah. <laughs> and many other <laughs> forms so uh-huh. um that is that is interesting because again i didn't think about that either in that form of reagan of him trying to be an outsider mm-hmm. um but wow that that yeah so the parallels are, are stunning and it's like I said, it's not by accident, right? It was it was clearly de- you know designed to go that way. Now my question, my question to you, based off of that, because I'm not the most politically savvy person out there. I'm not gonna lie, even I'm not even trying to front. Mm-hmm. But I would assume that somebody in the Democratic Party or somebody in the Republican Party that was running against him mm-hmm. could have seen these signs because they are more abreast of campaign strategies because if you're trying to win a campaign what are you going to do study other campaign strategies that have worked mm-hmm. and how they didn't spot this and somehow avoid it or bring it to light Got so it. that mm-hmm. other people could do I something th- i think you know the the major thing that trump had going for him was the um the appearance of unsuitability the appearance of of um having no chance to win so they took that, took him for granted in that sense. Right. So, you know, people underestimated it, mm. right? And said, well, you know, he can use whatever strategy he wants, right? But look at this guy. He has no experience, right? He's basically a BSer, <laughs> right? There's no way he's going to win. And then on top of that, all of the polls were saying the same thing, right? At least in the general election, right? Mm. In the Republican, um, uh, side of things in the in the primaries for the Republicans, uh, everybody took him as uh, as a joke and they figured that he would somehow fall out of the 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 fray in, you know, two or three elections. Right. Mm-hmm. But he kept winning. Yeah. Right. And in the beginning, it was easy for him to win because he's running against 16 other people. Yeah. Right. And he was probably, the, you know, the, the most, most famous yeah, the most known. You know, name recognition of any of those candidates. And a lot of people just vote on name recognition. Right. Uh, so he was able to outlast, you know, some major candidates like Jeb Bush and, and Marco Rubio um, and Kasich. Yeah. And, and finally, when it, you know, it came down, it was him. And everybody was shocked. They said, this can't be. But it was. Right. So he, he wins the Republican nomination and the Democrats saying, oh, great. This is the best candidate we want. Right. Because this guy is no way he's going to win. He's a clown. But this is I have to say. Then that's stupid on them. Absolutely. Because I'll give them a pass to a, a point. Mm-hmm. But f- to me, because I'm not going to lie. In the beginning, I was like, there's no way. There's mm-hmm. no way. He's gonna, he's, I was like, there's like, especially based on what he was saying in public. Uh-huh. I was just like, okay, there's no way. Like there, And then he got further and further. And then I was like, even before the primaries, I was like, Okay, uh, I'm getting a little worried here. We need to we need to really start thinking about how this is going. Mm-hmm. But my my thing is at at least at the primaries, I just feel like you can't take it for a joke at that point. No, and you have to. You know, it should be all out war. That and then and then bre- Brexit right before that. Yeah, because people were saying the same th- and the same thing. And then right after Brexit, I remember Vance Jones saying. Mm-hmm. Don't take this is the sign right here. I remember re- watching a Facebook live mm-hmm. tweet or a Facebook live of him saying, 
guys, this is the sign. Don't don't keep on saying Trump can't win because this can happen to us. Mm-hmm. But yet still people, even in the Democratic Party, will still say like, to, like, how does that? Well, you know, this, you know, I've been reading up about a lot of things, you know, because of this election. Mm-hmm. You know, one one thing I couldn't understand is how could somebody, you know, like there's uh, Peter Thiel, mm-hmm. right, who's um, CEO of uh, I think he was one of the co-founders of PayPal. Oh, right. um, and I forget what the other one, Tumblr or something like that. But uh, he supported Trump. Mm-hmm. And I was saying, well, this guy's not stupid. Right. How can he support Trump? Right. And apparently he supported him because he believed that Trump was going to do the right thing with health care. Right. Some kind of a single payer um, uh, health care system. So the question in my mind was, how do people decide what basis to make a judgment on a particular candidate? That's that's that is where I'm getting at. That is what I right. want to know, because that doesn't make sense to me either. Yeah. So so. um who is it? Uh, Fareed Zachariah. He, um, he has a show, GPS. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, three, well, it's, on, it's on CNN, right? Yeah, it's on yeah. CNN Sunday mornings. And he also writes for the Washington Post. He has, mm. a, he has a column there. So um, I think he says, I think he, I think he says, uh, I forget the title of the article, but essentially he wanted to understand how smart people, bright people, mm-hmm. right, can look at one thing. And, and disregard everything and else. And disagree. And disagree. Well, what I'm saying is, they can look at one thing and half of them say one uh, come to one opinion about it and half of them will come with a completely different opinion about it. Right. Mm. So it's a question of, um, you know, how do you make these judgments, you know, political judgments, right? Because it seems like political judgments are somewhat irrational. Yeah. Where life judgments, like if that, those questions were presented in a normal like life situation, mm-hmm. I don't think those same people are taking that same path. Yeah. Yeah, correct. Like, for instance, right, you, you you know, you say, well, you know, Trump does this and he gets away with it. Right. And Clinton does that. And she gets whacked all over the place. Mm-hmm. Right. And a lot of it has to do with um, he pointed to this book called The Righteous Mind. Mm. Right. And this is a, a book about moral psychology. Right. And how people make judgments about things. Right. And it says that initially the ju- the first judgment you make is with your gut or your heart, right? You you form an an emotional uh, decision, right? Based on any number of items. One could be your social socialization, your history, uh, what you, what you you know you look like, and all those kinds of things. And what I liken it to is, um, you know, when people look at somebody, right? If they're handsome and tall, you know, they give them automatically give them certain attributes. And they get sort of the benefit of the doubt. They trust them a little bit right? more. And they trust They're more them a little likely bit more. to take their word, things of that nature. Yeah, exactly. Whereas if you look a different way, you know, short and dumpy in that kind of way, mm-hmm. then they form another set of examples, a set of opinions. Um, a prime example of this is if you ever watch the TV show Columbo. <laughs> yeah. Right? You know, Columbo was, you know, his hair is always a mess. He had that, that rumpled uh, trench coat. And he seemed like he didn't know what was going on. He's always, you know, asking these questions and then walking away and said, oh, yeah, just one thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And that really irritated all these, you know, brilliant mastermind criminals who were trying to get away with murder. Right. And they just thought this guy's an idiot. They <laughs> underestimate him. Right. And they had already formed an opinion. Right. So 
which that, that is, takes them off their game and makes them have a mistake. And that's how he catches them. Exactly. Because what it, what it came down to in terms of the, the book, The Righteous Mind, was that people make decisions based on their gut, right? And then if they're, they're presented with any information, mm-hmm. right, they, based on that first decision, they decide, well, can I accept that information, right? Mm. right? Or must I accept that information? Right. And there's a subtle yeah, difference a, between yeah. the two. Right. Really not so subtle. One is must I is immediately questioning the information that comes in. Right. Can I is like you're already accepting it. Yeah, you already accept it. It just if you're now going to allow yourself to yeah. take yeah, it can all I, in. Can yeah. I allow myself to to accept it or must I, you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, think about if it's some kind of food that yeah. you like. It's oh, big. yeah. Can I eat this ice cream? Yeah, I can eat this ice cream. Right. Or must I eat these greens? Yeah, it's, right? it's more one is passive where one is more forced. Exactly. And that basis is really what they talk about in, um, in psychology as confirmation bias. Mm. Right. Once you make a decision about something or someone, right, be it positive or negative. Right. Rather than look for, quote, um, neutral information. Right. That will, you know, either justify or disprove uh, your your initial judgment. What you look at, look at is how can I confirm my original opinion or original choice? And ignoring anything that doesn't occur or it, confirm exactly. that information. So right. you're not open, in essence, to it. You're looking for what you're looking for. Yeah. So, you know, if you look at, the, you know, the, the election in 2016, right, and the release of those that tape, mm-hmm. right? Um, where, yeah, if you didn't like Hillary Trump, already... Yeah, that was that was that was going to push you over and continue because that's all you were looking for. Something to confirm that she's not the person for you. Yeah, exactly. Right. So the confirmation bias. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, this guy uses this analogy in the book, The uh, Righteous Mind, about, you know, the elephant and the and the right and the and the writer. Right. He says that the writer is really the intellect. Right. That, you know, sees things and, you know, makes judgments, you know, impartially. But. Because he's only the driver of the elephant, he can't physically force the elephant one way or the other, <laughs> right? So if the elephant's already, you know, made up, made up its mind to move, you know, in one direction, no amount of pulling or, or conjoling is going to get that elephant to move. Exactly. Right? So you, that decision is not up to you anymore. <laughs> right. You know, you kind of just say, all right, well, we're going this way, so let's make the best of it. Right. And that's kind of the confirmation bias. Um, but if you can somehow get that elephant to move, Right. Then the rider got to go with them, regardless of whether the rider wants to go that way or not. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I think a lot of what happened is if an individual can create enough goodwill. Right. For their brand or persona. Right. Before they get out into the political space, they are out. You know, basically you have that equity to use. Yeah. You're basically inoculated against yeah. certain things. Mm. Right. And, you know, you look at, you know, Trump getting up there. I could walk down Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and nobody would 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 care. Right. It's almost that bad. Yeah. Right. Um, So I think I think uh, that's a problem that society has that we put so much power in these celebrities that, though. Yeah. Now, a good. Now, that brings up another song by by Gil Scott Heron. Uh, It's called There Ain't No Such Thing as Superman. (laughs) Right. Because I think one thing about American culture Right. You know, in our culture of you know superheroes is that somehow an individual, you know, is Im- imbued with some kind of uh, super power or super ability. Right. That makes them 
unique, mm-hmm. right? That allows you allows them to you know you know get bullets, maybe bulletproof and be super strong. You know <laughs> whatever that, whatever Luke that might Cage be. Here yeah. a bit. but good it's a series. Fa- Check it out, guys. Yeah, it is. It is. But it's but it doesn't really exist in real life, right? There's no mm-hmm. such thing as Superman. Exactly. Right. But people want to believe that, right? They want to believe that there's individuals that you know have this unique ability to just make stuff happen, right? And at this time, it tends to be our entertainers, our athletes. Yeah, yeah. You know, you see somebody up on screen, they're immediately imbued with, oh, they must be special because they're on TV. Yeah. Right. Just the idea of them being there and you're Mm -hmm. here. Yeah. Now, (laughs) now hopefully that that all changes now, you know, because everybody, or let's put it this way, the barrier to entry, right, to be up on on a video screen has come down quite a bit. Everybody's got the internet, yeah. Yeah, everybody's got their smartphone with video, right? So you can be on TV too, right? So there's nothing really special about that. Um, and I think a certain degree, I think the entertainment world is worried about that. Oh yeah, they are. Because yeah, they are. well, especially in the music world, because they're losing money. The well, the major record labels are losing money because Chance mm-hmm. the Rapper, Macklemore, mm-hmm. all of them are showing that you can make mm-hmm. millions independently yeah you can bypass all these these guys yeah there's no more well there there is still gatekeepers but those gatekeepers are getting less and less as Mm -hmm. they would say yeah so you know the the organized businesses are trying to figure out how to maintain their stranglehold on access right but at the same time you know lowering the barrier to entry right to the to the media right then allows you entry for all this fake news exactly so there's a double-edged sword yeah exactly Exactly. Uh, and, you know, this this election was sort of the the perfect storm of all of these things. Right. Um, exactly. Because there's a lot of fake news stories, inaccurate stories that were being said or seen on, you know, people seeing it on Facebook. And it looks like a real news article, but they don't do the source checking, the fact checking, mm-hmm. you know, the deeper look, because let's be real. I, I won't say a lot of people, but there are people that are lazy that are not going to look deeper because. They have other things to do. Yeah. You know, let's not, face you know, let's face it. There's so much out there. So you're getting bombarded with so much information. Mm-hmm. I also, like I've been saying on other podcasts, I think that bombardment of information at such a rapid pace, besides the fact that you don't fact check or you mm-hmm. don't feel like you have the time to fact check. I think it also desensitizes us to a degree because you have no time to sit with it yeah. and let yourself determine how you should feel about it versus how the world feels about it because you don't have that time to, 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 to really absorb it. Like I said. Yeah. I like to call it the squirrel effect. <laughs> Here's that. Oh, wow. I'm happy about this one. Oh, wait, there's another one. Exactly. You know, uh, so, you know, this guy sits up there with his, with his Twitter account and he just direct, you know, he just throws, you know, it's like throwing the golf ball out there and the dog goes and runs to get it. Right. The media just follows everything that comes out and not everything he says is worth checking out. Yeah. Right. And a I lot think of that, it isn't. And, and I think what you what you bring up is, is, is a very good point that. Um. He brings out so many issues so rapidly, right, that, okay, the one issue by itself could be enough to sink him. Like the Russia. (laughs) Yeah. But if the next day some, you know, um, dossier gets leaked, right, that says all these other things, everybody's like running off to talk about that. And I I have a couple of theories, personal theories of my own, which I cannot prove. Right. And we'll I'm, call I'm, this section conspiracy theories by Uncle David. Yeah, this is a conspiracy <laughs> theory. Um, Trump's tax 
uh, form that was released mm-hmm. or that that was given to the New York Times. I suspect very strongly that it was released by Donald Trump. <laughs> Right. And and what makes you believe or think that? Well, because he was able to spin it. Right. Mm Because let's think about it. Right. If somebody really wanted to put out his tax returns, why would they release one that was so old? Yeah, I I didn't get that. That didn't make sense anyway. Right. And this one was 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 set up. So it had a huge loss on it. Mm-hmm. Right. Which he could then spin and saying, well, look, I'm, I'm such a great businessman. I took this loss and That's applied it to using the tax code to save myself taxes for the next 20 years. OK. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Is. So, you know, he's so they immediately came out. The guy's a genius. Right. His, mm-hmm. You know, Giuliani, all those guys. Right. That's, yeah, they're like, oh, that's smart. Mm-hmm. So that's my 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 first theory. The second conspiracy theory has to do with this dossier. <laughs> The okay. fact that the dossier information was dumped a day or two before his press conference where he was supposed to be divulging himself of interest in his own company to remove uh, conflict of interest, interest yeah. that became the news. Rather than what should have been the news is all the things that would have put him in the hole at that. Exactly. Gotcha. Instead of all the stuff. And I think one of the key things that we forget is that if we're all looking at the left, Somebody's sneaking around the right. Yeah, it's the old uh, magic trick, a uh, sleight of hand. So if you can divert attention away, right? This is, you know, a magic trick, right? <laughs> you know, everybody's watching the diversion mm-hmm. and the trick is happening because you're not looking at what you what you should be looking at. Exactly. Same thing with this, uh, div, you know, divestiture um, nonsense at a press conference, <laughs> right? Which was supposed to be a no a no-brainer easy stuff which was going to be announced in <laughs> December but somehow got postponed uh cuz they couldn't get their act together in time mm. until uh January and then since they really couldn't get their act together cuz he wasn't really doing anything other than letting his sons run the business and not really taking care of any conflicts um let's create some other information and get everybody talking about that right and i remember watching CNN uh, that week and uh, uh, Anderson Cooper and uh, Kellyanne Conway got into it 25 minutes going back and forth about fake news regarding this dossier. Yeah, I, I remember watching that and thinking, wow, like and and the thing that made it so odd to me is that after seeing that people are still defending her, but she didn't explain anything. No, she didn't. You know, she, you know, let's face it. Her job is to make her, her guy look as good as possible. Right. And she'll do it regardless of whether she has to lie or not. Mm. Now, she tries not to lie by diverting attention again, by not answering the question posed, but ask, answering the question you want to answer mm-hmm. and just going around and around and around about that. The thing that really bugged me about it, though, was that Anderson Cooper was chasing her all over the place with that. Rather than, you know, at some point in time, you just got to say, you know, I'm not going to get a straight answer out of this person, you know, and kick them to the curb. Right. Just understand that. I can. But I, I'll say this. I can understand his him wanting when I watch that when I watch that interview, I can understand him wanting to do that because he as especially nowadays when people are saying that there's fake media that we're not asking that as well, I'm not a media member, but as, 
if you are a media member that you're not asking the right questions. You're not um, you're not probing deep enough. You're not checking sources. Mm-hmm. And that that if if kind of let's say if that's playing in the background in your head. Mm-hmm. And you're doing that interview. You're gonna track tra- tra- track her down as hard as you can, and and try to get the answers that you're so getting because then you can justify like you see I'm trying like this mm-hmm. is what I'm tr- I'm literally trying to get this answer. I'm doing everything I can to get her to come out and give us the, the information that I know you guys want, mm-hmm. that I know we want, that we really need to get. But at like you said, but there is a point and. In the heat of that moment, I can see why it would be hard, especially if that's in the back of your head. Yeah. We need to prove in a normal situation. Yeah. You would say, I tried. I pushed her. I pushed her. I pushed her. At this point, let's move on and see if I can get other pertinent information that that I can get that we want. That, mm. That's important. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I, I get I get that that frustration just because if that is playing in his mind and who, who knows if that was. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know, the media is in, in, in a very tough spot. Right. Because uh, they they need access to these people. Right. In order to do their jobs. Right. And the people that are that are the gatekeepers to to the access. Right. Are really pretty capricious right now. Mm -hmm. Right. They will drop your access at at any moment. And I think a part of the reason for that is more now than it than it has been. And I'm not saying it in a nostalgic manner because I think it's always been that way to a certain degree. Yeah, that there's But I think now they feel more apt at it because there is so much way to get access to your fans, to your people of your brand without. Yeah, exactly. And they can go around you. Yeah, they they can literally go around you and don't necessarily need you. Like Kim Kardashian has made her living Mm -hmm. off of branding herself without a major, you know what I'm saying? You know, now she has E or wherever that shows on. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But by staying on Snapchat, by staying relevant, like in that regard, she's kept her fame to ridiculous levels. I think they said that show's been on like 18 or 14 years. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, th- that shows you that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. When I found, I was like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, so there's actually like kids like that were born mm-hmm. and like about 10, 12 now that that's, that's their Cosby's. That's yeah. their family yeah. matters. That's yeah. their uh, full house. You know, like that's mm-hmm. the shows that as a family that you, that they're seeing comparison to what I was seeing, mm-hmm. you know, the Jefferson good time like those shows uh was it all in the family all in the family yeah. like you know what I'm saying like mm-hmm. that comparison is that's to me is mind-boggling as well as like I don't know it's just that's interesting you brought up all in the family because uh the lead character in all of, all in the family Archie Bunker mm-hmm. right is in the same same borough of New York as uh Donald Trump Queens <laughs> And it seems to me that they hold some of the same attitudes and beliefs. Right? <laughs> maybe that's what he was watching, and that's what uh, has provoked his thoughts, and that's why he's the way he is. I, I wouldn't know, be maybe. surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, you know, I think that um, you know that show was pretty accurate about how people in that area, you know, felt about things, mm-hmm. right? and the fact that um, Archie was wasn't articulate, right? You know, he wasn't well educated, mm-hmm. right? I'm not saying he was dumb, just mm-hmm. saying he was wasn't well educated. Um, yeah, there is a distinction. Right, there's a way. difference between those two, right? And I think the same thing holds for for Trump, right? He's not intellectual, mm-hmm. right? Um, he's not he's not stupid. No, he's not right? either. But because... I wouldn't say that he's well educated, right? Mm-hmm. Outside of his particular business, mm-hmm. right? Now he's probably got enough, um, you know, uh, knowledge and he's a promotion and marketing genius. I'll give him that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know, <laughs> you know this. 
you know, I hate to say this. Him and Jerry Jones. Yeah. <laughs> I hate to say this about Trump, but think about this, right? When he was going through the Republican primaries, mm-hmm. right? He gave each of his opponents a nickname. <laughs> now think about some famous athlete, right? Who used to do that, <laughs> who was a master in front of the media, a master marketer. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I know where you're going, but I, I can't fix my mouth to say and put those two together because I'm telling you, this guy took a page out of Ali's book. I, I knew that's what I knew. I was, cause I, but I, I can't, I can't, I can't put it. To, I can't because Ali's can't, the greatest of all time. I understand man. that. And I'll tell you right now, I'm sure Trump will never cop to that because not only would he not be admitting that he came up with it himself, mm-hmm. right. Would be, you know, diminishing his, his own brand. Yeah. Right. But a black man. That's it. And a Muslim. You have two things that uh, we know he's not too uh, in favor of. Right. So if that became if that became um, something that people identified, I wonder what his core, his his core people would be thinking about. Hmm. Right. This guy. They would they would still go with. Yeah. Again, they, you know, the elephants going that direction. Yeah, I was right? about to say they would just yeah. they what they would say is no, it's just a coincidence that they are boisterous or you know what I'm saying it. There any excuse in the world to not put it together because just as we said earlier about because I was watching videos about what Trump supporters were saying that they vote especially women mm-hmm. um, that they because the women's march and everything so that's you know that's been heavy in the media mm-hmm. and they uh, talked to two women and one of the women said they did it because of his religious beliefs <laughs> who Which, Trumps yeah and and they said that he <laughs> okay. was because he was pro life uh-huh. um, and that. And so then the reporter asked, but so what about everything else that he mm-hmm. said and that he's done that doesn't go with the beliefs that you say you believe in based on your the faith that you say you have? Mm-hmm. And then she was like, well, the life thing mattered more than everything else. And mm-hmm. when we were at um, our Michelle's friend's party and we talked uh, to the Trump supporter there, oh yeah, uh-huh. which was a Latin, Latino man. Uh, we talked. To, I talked about this on another podcast, so check it out. That will be released. Um, and he said that he voted for Trump because he disregarded all the Latin Mexican because he was Mexican as well, not just Latin, but he was Mexican and all the rhetoric and uh, racist <laughs> things that he said about uh, Mexicans mm-hmm. because he felt that he was going to give middle middle America jobs back again. Yeah, and so. That goes, that touches back on what you were saying earlier, but I still, to me, it does like, I can't, mm-hmm. how does, I, I just don't understand how you can take, if 10 things are said, mm-hmm. nine of them you disagree with, mm-hmm. that that one stands above all that, that, that one you can disregard the nine. Well, that's the, that's the whole point about this confirmation bias, right? Yeah. Once you've made that choice, right, your rational mind shuts off. Right. And you filter out any information that challenges your original assumption about a person. Right. That's why, you know, you can look at, you know, um, you know, somebody gets a girlfriend. Right. And he falls in love with her. Right. And she could do no wrong. <laughs> right. And his friends could be telling him all kinds of stuff about her. Right. She's stealing from you doing this. Oh, no, she's not doing that. Oh, no, she's not doing it. you make up excuses. Right. Yeah. And the same thing happens with politics. Right. You, you, you pick your guy. Right. And they're your guy. Or same thing happens in sports. 
Right. Yeah. Your team is your team. Your team's your team. Right. Rain shine. It, I know it is with my Niners, man. <laughs> We've been going through it, so I can understand that. But mm-hmm. see, to me, and, and I, I definitely, like I said, I just, I just admitted that I did it with my team. Mm-hmm. But my team's not going to affect my life. Right. But again, my president is going to affect my life. So I need my president to be on all. I rather I need him to be on point more than he's off point. Yeah. But again, if you've made your decision already that you like this guy. Right. And that decision is an emotional decision. Right. It's not based on any rational thought. Right. After that, anything that you know, challenges but that you're going we, to dismiss it. Why are we basing our opinions about our president? We make our, we, we make that choice all the time, not just about the president, but about what clothes we like, what kind of car we want to buy. I'm telling you, you know, yeah. I, 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 see, I, I, at, I, at some level, you know, what has to happen is people have to understand how their minds work. Right. In order to counter that. Right. If you understand that, you know, you you're apt to make, an irrational choice based on emotion, right, over rational rationality, right, then somehow you have to figure out, well, how do I undo that, right, and make it a more objective choice, right? That's a very difficult thing to do because first you have to you have be to aware know. of the yeah. fact that you're making these choices. And a lot of these choices are subconscious. Yeah, it's right? the, the known unknowns, a- the known unknowns and the unknown unknowns. You yeah. don't know, you don't you don't know that you don't know. Yeah. That you're making these mm-hmm. these biases. Yeah, it's like the implicit bias mm. test, right? You know, you uh everybody has these biases, mm-hmm. right? We're not na- naturally aware of them, right? And they manifest them themselves. And if somebody points it out to you, you're not even aware of it. Right. Oh, did I do that? You know, you know, it's the, you know, the old adage, you know, the, there used to be a, um, an Eddie Murphy joke going around about uh, he gets on an elevator with some some old white woman or something and she grabs her, grabs her purse or something like mm-hmm. that. Right. And the problem is, is that if you're not aware that you have that reaction when, you know, black male gets on the elevator with you. Right. How are you going to confront that? Yeah. All right. So first is is acknowledging that. But, but what I'll say is if you're, and it, it touches to what you were saying that you have to be self-aware. Yeah. Because if you're self-aware and you notice tendencies that you're making in certain situations that you're not making in other situations, mm-hmm. then that should cause you to sit down and say, why am I making this decision in this situation? And I'm not making that same decision in this situation. Right. Right. That's a difficult thing, right? Because like you say, we're doing a whole lot of stuff, yeah. right? You know, we got to get up and go to work in the morning, right? We got to do things on our jobs, right? Uh, so there's not much time for that. Plus, when you have downtime, a lot of people, are, they're not inclined to self-reflect. They're inclined no, to, you know, veg out in front of t- TV. Watch. TV, listen to music, Twitter, right. Facebook, yeah. Instagram, Snapchat, mm-hmm. Tumblr. Yeah. <laughs> we can go on and on of yeah. like, things that are bombarding us all the time. Texts, phone calls. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have, you know, somebody who's going to confront you on these things, right? And That's call the you other out, problem is a lot of people have yes men or yes people. Well, I say. yeah. Well, you know, because exactly. you want to be liked instead of because mm-hmm. we talked about we had a, a similar conversation with this um, a friend of the podcast, Drea, yesterday about people feeling the need not being okay with doing your own thing, mm-hmm. which doesn't necessarily mean that I'm saying. 
I don't care about what you're doing, mm-hmm. but I'm going to do what I need to do for me. And if it's not on the same train as me, that's fine. We can still be cool. We can still talk, but like, I'm going to continue doing my thing. Yeah. Where it seems like nowadays, like if, if everybody's going to the club, mm-hmm. you don't want to go to the club, mm-hmm. but you have to go to the club. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. like uh-huh. instead of saying, yo, no, y'all go to the club. Y'all have fun. Y'all do you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stay here and do me. And we both going to have a good time because we both in situations we want to be in mm-hmm. and we can get up afterwards or be, mm-hmm. before whatever, but right. we're all doing what we want to do instead of doing what we feel we all need to do, mm-hmm. which I think is hard for some people. Yeah, that that is hard, you know, particularly, you know, depending on what your age group is. But mm-hmm. but there's a lot of peer pressure involved. And and these days, right, I think it's become even more compounded because, you know, people communicate a lot more through, you know, face Facebook or, you know, tweets Mm-hmm. Right. Text messages and th- those things. Right. But, you know, particularly in, you know, forums where, you know, people are posting things to your Facebook. Right. All your friends. Right. If somebody posts something that is, you know, uh, contrary to a majority of people on that, you know, in that circle of friends. Right. They'll get jumped on. Right. Mm-hmm. So and that's why ha- they have a like button, not a dislike button. Yeah. <laughs> so if you have mm-hmm. a if you have a, a problem with something. Right. Or if you disagree with, you know, you know what the quote group think is. Right. You'll either not voice it. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. In okay. most cases, you probably won't. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you don't want to you don't want to suffer the the uh, flood of of uh, hate that you're going to get based on that. Yeah. Instead of people just saying, OK, you disagree. Well, why do you disagree? Mm-hmm. I disagree with that. And leaving it at that is being open to the dialogue because there is opportunity for you to grow and change your opinion. Doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you will, but having that dialogue and accepting that me trying to understand why you have your opinion about this and you trying to understand why I have my opinion on this mm-hmm. is not to force us to change. It's just for us to think about it in the regard that you are. Yeah. Yeah. And it might, it might affect change. It might not, mm-hmm. but at least it gives you the possibility. If you mm-hmm. never have that dialogue, there's no chance that you'll ever change because you're always mm-hmm. going to get people agreeing with what you're agreeing with. Yeah. You know, and I think I think you have to, you know, um, expose yourself to opposing thoughts and, and ideas. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, there's no basis to which to challenge, you know, your assumptions. Right. If everybody's agreed that the, the earth was flat. <laughs> right we would be we'd be in a lot of trouble right now well, yeah you know the, half the world would be unknown to, to the west right which may not have actually, been a bad actually, thing that may actually actually we might not be in climate change right now or yeah, global that may not have been a bad thing you know so you know maybe you know uh columbus going you know past the, the horizon you know started up a whole chain of events that uh ends up destroying the world but uh, <laughs> he he's know. the cause <laughs> yeah you know well he certainly destroyed the, the native american world here. yeah they definitely you know not him directly although but, he yeah. was uh you know he was quite brutal in his treatment of, of the native americans yeah, he might be the catalyst but you know all of the subsequent events you know that that occurred as a result of that right so i think it's difficult to uh you know to isolate yourself in these uh these uh chat rooms or um you need to get out there and discuss and i think you know doing face to faces are a lot better you know because you know uh i remember in 2008 mm-hmm. right when obama was running first time you know and i had just started getting into to facebook and you know discovered all these f- friends from college and mm-hmm. whatnot and uh there was a guy from uh from colorado who i was you know pretty pretty cool with right you mm-hmm. know we weren't 
running buddies, mm-hmm. but we were pretty cool. Um, you know, a white guy in Colorado, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's in finance, you know, and, and banking or something out there. And then um, another buddy of mine, right, from uh, from uh, Compton, right? And they were they were pretty hot, um, pretty close together, right? Gotcha. You know, back in the day. And when when Obama came up, right, it was like they were looking at two different pictures, <laughs> right? And they got into it so bad. And then a lot of people jumped on on the white guy, right? Mm. Because you know, of course, he was he was not pro Obama, right? Yeah. So they were you know just blasting him, and he finally just got off Facebook. Oh, wow. Right. And, you know, I was like, damn, you know, this is, uh, you know, pretty vicious stuff. Yeah. Because I think in a normal face to face forum, Mm -hmm. you would have that disagreement. And in some cases, yeah, it could get heated and it could some cases lead to fights. Some cases lead to not being friends anymore. Mm -hmm. But I think in most cases, especially if it was a larger group, Mm -hmm. well, I won't say larger group, but a mid-sized, let's say four people Mm -hmm. that if it got to the point where it's, getting malicious versus actually having a discussion you would hope that Mm -hmm. somebody would say all right you know like we ain't got to take it there like Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying like that's like it's like it's like a rap battle you rap about it and then it's like okay you talking about my mama come on now all right that's what we draw the line line, yeah that's what we you know there's a line and then the group understands there are there are boundaries there are boundaries right but we're in the internet that those boundaries are dissipating yeah, I mean it's it's, it's very mm-hmm. similar to you know like if you're a pedestrian mm-hmm. right, and you're walking in you know in the street you know and somebody steps on your shoe or something like that you say excuse me I'm sorry and you move, move on, on right yeah. right if you're in a car somebody cuts you off you get all pissed and then you want to tailgate them and you know it can escalate because you're isolated mm-hmm. right and you got all this metal around you protected right on the internet you kind of isolate you you're, and it changes that mentality that's yeah. that's 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 amazing how just that one that one variable and it's not even a big variable can change mm-hmm. how we think to the degree of we'll be that malicious yeah it, it's really strange you know and you know human nature is 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 bizarre beyond you know mm. description you know the you have one person sitting in a room, to, or let's say two people sitting in a room. One of them passes out. The other one will get up and try to help that person. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Now, if you have 10 people in a room and one of them passes out and falls over, everybody else is looking at waiting each for other, somebody waiting else for somebody else to do it. it. Right. So, you know, these are these are things that have been measured. Right. In, in experiments. Right. And we've seen the um, the effects of, you know, this echo chamber. Right. In uh, discussions uh, on Facebook and mm-hmm. other other places and, you know, the Twitter rants uh, that, you know, people, you know, just bully cyberbullying, all this kind of thing that keeps going on. And it's a function of the um, of the media, so to speak. Right. In terms of how you're communicating and the separation. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, you're not you don't really see that person. You don't really see the impact of what you're saying. You know, it's like throwing a rock. Right you know, blindly into a crowd, right? Somebody gets hit. You don't know who it was, right? You don't know if you, you know, nicked him or put his eye out. Yeah. And the insensitivity to the effects of, of your actions is uh, the thing that's really kind of, you know, unsettling. It's very unsettling to me. Yeah. And uh, I don't know how you get past that. I think somehow there's got to be, you know, uh, new training methods or, or teaching in the schools to sensitize people to these things, Mm. right? Because unless you, you know, it's like, you know, there's a method of teaching 
um, racial intolerance, right? The effects of racial intolerance, mm-hmm. right? Where you, you take a group, half the class and you make them, you know, like, uh, you know, uh I can't like, think of the lady that I seen do it, but I know who you're talking about. All right. So you make one class, mm-hmm. one half of the class has privileges. The other half of the class doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. It's just arbitrary. And you see the people who don't have the privileges, you know, they get to feel what it's like. So once, once you feel what it's like, right, then you can empathize with people and then you won't want to do it. Yeah. I seen, um, I seen a video of them doing that with a a whole group of uh, white children Mm -hmm. and they split up the class and said, half of you are black, half Mm -hmm. of you are white. And the, the reaction of one girl was, it was, it just showed she broke down so bad because just because she was like, no, I don't want to. And she was like, well, you don't have a choice you're black this mm-hmm. is what happens to them she's like if you can't deal with it get out the class and she's like i don't want to leave she's like those are your two choices mm-hmm. and like the fact that it broke her down like that it it really enlightened and highlighted how difficult it can be and even taking out color just you can go class you can go race you can go religion whatever mm-hmm. and when you have those divisions and are oppressing some somebody in that regard it is hard for them to see it if they don't if they're not put in those positions. Right. But once you're, to me, th- there is liability or responsibility rather, is when you're enlightened to these responsibilities or you're enlightened to these privileges that you have mm-hmm. to then dig deeper and find out, are you one of these people that are having these privileges or are you not? Are you one of them? You know what I'm saying? Like, because they're oppressed, no, they're oppressed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, that's what I mean. At some point, if you have to take responsibility as the privilege and say, you know what? I am privileged and I need to change my behavior based on that. If I am treating somebody and abusing that privilege mm-hmm. towards somebody else. Yeah. Because then you're at fault too. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, we talk about, you know, developing empathy from these, um, these, these, uh, roles. Mm-hmm. Now, a cynical person told me, he says, you know, he asked me a question. He said, what's the dream of the slave? And I said, freedom. Mm-hmm. And he says, no, it's to become the slave master. Mm. Right. So you think about it. You know, some people will take that experience and have empathy and say, yeah. I never want anyone to suffer like I have. Yeah. Other people will take that experience and say, I don't want to be the one suffering. I want to be the one inflicting mm-hmm. suffering. I want to be the one in charge. So there's two outcomes from from, you know, that mm. kind of sensitization. Um, yeah. How do you move it past that? I think there's got to be some level of, of values that need to be learned right, or could be learned to allow people to have a choice where there's, you know, there, there's this principle of, you know, harming others versus, you know, helping myself. Yeah, having that balance. Having that balance and, and, and making that right choice or you know, what I'm call, calling the right choice. Yeah. I believe that to be the right choice. Yeah. That theory or that idea, and that can be seen in various areas too, not just with race, but parents that are, are children that are in abusive houses, mm-hmm. they do split and tend to be in that degree or alcoholic families um, or uh, even hazing in, in mm-hmm. fraternities. Yeah. It, it's passed down. You got mm-hmm. hazed. The next when the next line comes in, you're going to haze them, mm-hmm. and to a point, it used to escalate to a point where then they had to start actually then you know regulating it and banning it, mm-hmm. even though we know it still happens. But anyways, uh-huh. like that that so like like you said, it is seen in other areas 
So it's it is interesting, and I think it is gonna, like you said, it's gonna be it's something hard to to determine and fix. And there is gonna there has to be some values because if you don't have the value, then you don't understand why it's worth. Yeah, doing uh, what you're doing. Yeah, I think you know one of the things that you know we do a very poor job of in in education is any type of spiritual development, mm. right? That's something that's you know supposedly left to the purview of religion. Mm. Right. And what religion doesn't really teach you that either. Mm. Right. You know, most religions. Right. They teach you to memorize texts. Mm-hmm. Right. And to say prayers mm. and to follow certain routines, rituals, routines and rituals. Yeah. Right. But they don't tell you how, you know, how to make these evaluations, you know, on your on your own. Mm. Right. So you'll just follow these things, you know, lockstep. Right. But you're going to find situations that don't fall into those those uh you know preordained mess you know yeah because uh, there's, there's right? those gray areas yeah you know and uh what do you do for those and you know what you do what a lot of people do it's either black or white mm-hmm. right so good or bad that's bad okay that's it not going to talk not going to deal with it in any other fashion um but the world is you know it's not you know a binary thing no the world is you know it's analog yeah. Right. So you can go from the darkest of dark to the whitest of white and everything in between. Yeah. It's a, it's a large spectrum. Yeah. It's funny. We, we're all the way here from from uh, Gil Scott Heron's. Uh, so, yeah. I wanted to tie that back because I know we've been uh, talking to you guys zero for a minute. So to, to, to tie it back to Gil Scott Heron, I, I think you if you haven't heard it, I think you, you should check it out. I do think there are so many um correlations between that song and w- and what was going on at that time as we've gone through and today and so if anything that i would take away from it is try not to repeat the history you know what i'm saying by learning by these mistakes and learning by the successes and to avert the path of the the past and try to change the future for the better what would you say is the your overall <clears throat> takeaway from it well i think i think to wrap it up I think you're you you know you hit hit the nail on the head. Recognize that things, you know, repeat, mm-hmm. and understand that you know today is no different than 35 years ago. Mm-hmm. A lot of similarities in terms of you know what was pitched, mm-hmm. what was bought, and what the outcome was. Yeah. Right. So I know a lot of people think that this is the worst thing that's ever happened. <laughs> it ain't. It's happened before. We made it through it then, so yeah. Hopefully, we can continue to make it through it now, though. As we said, is I, I we definitely it seems like we both agree that we need to learn from these mistakes. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it has things haven't changed as much as we think they have, right? But I feel like we need to use this as an opportunity to infect change. And I think one of the key things, you know, is the first line: "Mandate my ass." Mm-hmm. Right. Which is, you know, a diss to the winner. Mm-hmm. But it's also a diss to people who don't vote. You've got to vote. Yeah. In your local as well as your presidential. Yeah. Both. you got to vote. Right. Because if you don't vote, then you're like a, a leaf being blown wherever the wind blows you. Mm-hmm. Right. You have no control of what happens or you're just passive. Now, a lot of people don't vote because they don't think that their vote's going to count. Or, or they don't like the candidate. Or they don't like the candidate. 
but you can vote to get those the the legislation for how we how the candidates mm-hmm. are picked or changed by voting. Yeah. But look at this. 90 million people didn't vote in mm-hmm. the last election. That's more votes than any of the candidates got by themselves. Right. If you wrote in who you were. Right. If, if 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 you if everyone agreed on a third party guy right to vote in and every one of those 90 million people voted for him, that or guy her. Would, or her, <laughs> they would be the president today so that means your vote has weight absolutely and so that's that's another good point that we uh constantly say on the stable podcast that voting is important if you want to affect change that's one way to do it and one cool thing about what we have today in terms of media access we don't have to go through you know cnn or fox news all right to get to voters Mm -hmm. right we can go direct yeah right so you can we could build an internet candidate yeah. right now the important thing is is that people have got to get out there and vote and there i know there's a lot of impediments but i that's probably a, for a different discussion yeah we'll right. have to have a a, a part two <laughs> yeah so uh so i want to say thank you for ha- for coming and uh right. talking to me and talking to us and talking to our listeners about this and, and introducing me to this track in the first place um because mm-hmm. it was i didn't know about the song prior um I, I knew about Gil Scott Herring because of uh, the, the prior uh, track that we mentioned, but mm-hmm. I think it's an important song that needs to be heard. And as we say at the Say Woke podcast and the signingbreakdown.com, sharing music is important. Being around people that are creative, being around people talking about creations creates uh, an environment of creativity. And in that, a lot of positive things can happen and usually do happen. Um, I think that's evident with the Women's March that happened today. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And hopefully that I want I, I want to quickly just touch on that one real quick is that I, I hope that the amount of women that we saw gathering at Oakland, Chicago, New York, uh, D.C., London, Tokyo, that this is not just a one time thing. This is that this is, a as I stated on my Instagram post, is that this is just a spark for a flame that's going to give us long lasting change. That's going to keep that flame burning for not just women's rights, uh, equal rights with religions, uh, with uh, the LBGT community, uh, with people of color that, you know, we all use this force of solidarity to effectively make a change. That's that's what I wanted to touch on uh, just real quick. So, again, thank you for listening to the Stay Woke podcast. It's presented by the signingbreakdown.com. Uh, check out our Patreon page. Uh, that's patreon.com slash stay woke podcast. Uh, and thank you again for Uncle David for uh, rocking with us. Thanks for having me. You know our motto, live, listen to some great music, and above all, love more. We out. Peace.